Let me invite you to grab a Bible and turn over to the Gospel of John. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, you should find one underneath your chair. And um, I want to invite you to open up to John chapter 18. It's page 920 in uh, one of your chair, the Bible's there underneath your seats. And today we're going to continue with our series entitled Great Questions. We started the series last week, and for the month of January, we're going to look at some of the great questions that the Bible presented with us. Now, last week, we looked at a very, very lightweight, easy-to-digest question of, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? Just really easy stuff. So today, we're going to get even a little lighter, right? We're going to look at the question of, what is truth, right? So most of you are thinking, all right, got to pull my pants up, man, because this is going to get thick. And it is going to get thick, but try to hang in there with me. I'm not going to try to make it feel like a college philosophy class where you're going to be saying, man, I wish I, he had showed up 10 minutes late because we could have left and not had to stay and sit through all this stuff. But, but the stuff we're going to look at today is, is uh, you know, the, the question of truth, what is truth, is ultimately the question of what really makes life matter? Right? I mean, you don't want to live life and all of a sudden get to the end of the, get to the, end of the, the ladder and figure out you've got to lean, lean in against the wrong wall, that you built your life around stuff that just doesn't really matter, doesn't have any weight, doesn't have any value, something that God can't celebrate, something that God doesn't care about. And yet many of us, we, we come into this whole discussion about truth as we're a little frustrated, we don't really think there's great answers, we don't think there's a definitive answers, you know, that kind of thing. So we're, we, have, we kind of lower our expectations right from the very beginning, right? And say, eh, you know. Kind of, and I think the guy that presents us with this question today from the scriptures is the perfect guy. Because the guy's name is Pilate, he's the governor of the area of Judea and Jerusalem, and, and he, when he asks his questions, he's really not interested in the answer because he thinks he already knows what he needs to know. And in the mix of it, there's just some sarcasm and cynicism and that kind of stuff. And so he's just a perfect guy to look at. So John chapter 18, just, just again, you know, the, the, we don't encounter the scriptures in a vacuum. So there's a story going on here. This is one of the four biographies that God commissioned to tell the story of Jesus. And it's written, it's the last of the four to be written. It's written by the guy who was closest to Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry, a guy by the name of John, and whose brother was, was James. And he's telling us about the last night of the life of Christ, and in particular, his trial before the Roman governor, whose name was Pilate, right? So Judea at that point in time was, let me use the word, it was, it was a hybrid. There was a lot of things in, in, in everyday life and in religious life that was left to the Jewish leaders to run. And, and, and they were supposed to be like God's leaders, so they was like they, God was ruling through them. That wasn't working so well. On top of that, you had a civil government, the Romans, who kind of, kept control of everything else so that the top wouldn't blow off and become a real problem. And so the religious leaders of one of the, who are trying to run the country on one side are bringing him over to the other. So let's just pick up the story in verse 28. John chapter 18, verse 28. So then they took Jesus from Caiaphas, and he's the high priest, so he's the guy who's at the, kind of like the, 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 the prime minister of the parliament, which was known as the Sanhedrin. So they took him to the governor's quarters. They took him over to where Pilate was residing in Jerusalem, even though his real office was in Caesarea over on the coast. It said it was early morning, about daybreak. 
They didn't enter the headquarters themselves, otherwise they would have been defiled and unable to eat the Passover. So to so this is a big religious kind of period of time or whatever, you know, the big Passover celebrations going on. And to go into the home of a Gentile would have meant that you were unclean and you couldn't eat it. So they're like, we're not going in. So they bring Jesus to Pilate and they make Pilate come out to him. They wake him up early in the morning and make him come out to them. He's not getting off to a great start, right? Pilate's kind of already a little peeved, right? So, so Pilate comes out to them and he says, well, well, what charge do you bring against this man? And they just... They just provide a perfectly airtight legal defense, which is, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't have come to you. That's their, that's, their, that's their defense, right? You know, he says, well, what charge do you have? He said, well, you know, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. So they said, you know, he's guilty. Just, you know, that kind of thing. So, so Pilate says, you know, you just take him yourselves and judge him. And they say, well, it's not illegal. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death. Now, the Jews could do a lot of things, and there were cases where you saw stonings took place, which was the Jewish form of execution at that point in time, because we see that happen to Stephen in the book of Acts. But that wasn't approved by the Roman authorities. The only legal executions that could took place had to be done by the Roman authorities, right? That's one of those, the right of life they retained for themselves. But the, the Scripture tells us in verse 32, 32 as well. It says, they said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, signifying what sort of death he was going to die. Part of the reason why Jesus had to be taken to the Romans to be crucified was Jesus had talked about that in his death he would be lifted up. And the only people in the world who were practicing death by crucifixion, by lifting people up at that point in time were the Romans. So this was a, this was a necessity to fulfill the prophecies, if you will. So Pilate goes back into the headquarters, verse 33, and he brings, he says, bring the guy to me, you know, and he says, he says, are you the king of the Jews? And this is obviously an idea that got planted in his discussions with the religious leaders. So they, they've moved from, they've condemned him because he's, he's blasphemed, but now when they bring him over to the Romans, he's saying, well, he's an insurrectionist, right? He, he wants to be the king of the Jews, and we don't have any king but Caesar, right? So they're kind of doing a bait and switch, anything to get their objective met, so Jesus says, you know, well, are you asking that on your own? I mean, are you curious about that on your own? Or have others told you about me? And Pilate says, you know, I'm not a Jew, am I? He says, I, I can't understand all your guys' religious mumbo-jumbo and the way you guys go about all this stuff. I don't understand any of this stuff. He says, your own nation and the chief priests, they're the ones who brought me, you to me. So I'm the guy who can release you. So tell me, what have you done? <laughs> right? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. So he says, so you are a king then. So Pilate's like, all right, if this guy's a king, I might need to do something about this because we don't let other guys kind of raise up and cause problems, whatever, the Roman want to keep the peace. And, and with that, you know, that, so he's just, and he says, so you are a king then says, you know, you say that I'm a king. He says, I was born for this. And I have come into the world for this to testify to the truth. And everyone who's of the truth listens to me, listens to my voice. So Jesus is the one who raises the question of what is truth. He says, I've come to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So he's 
introduced this whole concept, which is probably something that applies to all of us, right? A lot of you didn't wake up this morning and say, man, you know, I want to think about what is truth today. I mean, it's just one of those things that kind of gets confronted on us. It's like, man, this is heavy, whatever. I just want to figure out how to get through the day, right? And, and, and so at the end of the day, Pilate simply just says, well, what's truth? And there's a part of that where he's, he's, he's asking the question somewhat rhetorically because he doesn't need the answer anymore, right? He, do, he doesn't need the answer anymore. He, he's already figured out that the reason they brought Jesus to him is because they're having an internal religious squabble and he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He says, so I don't really care about anything else you say. I don't need to know anything else from you. I know this isn't about you being an insurrectionist who's going to threaten the Roman Empire, create problems for Caesar, any of that kind of stuff. I know none of that's going to happen. This is about some theological discussions that you guys are having. I don't understand any of it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so he's done. He's not interested anymore. Right? So he goes out to them in the next verse. He says, you know, I have no grounds for charging this guy. And they keep pushing. And ultimately what happens is that Jesus is first brutalized and scourged, and he's hoping that will satisfy their wrath. That doesn't work. So then he offers up to allow them to be released, Jesus to be released, because there was a custom to allow a prisoner to go free during the Passover. And they say, we don't want that guy. We want Barabbas instead. And they say, well, what would you have me do with Jesus? Another great question. But he said, and they say, well, crucify him. But here's, here's, here's Pilate, right? He, first of all, he's dealing with an issue he doesn't want to deal with. And he's confronting with a subject that he's not really interested in at the moment. All he wants to know is, do I have a responsibility to Caesar to do anything about this guy that's in front of me? And so he's just a pragmatist. And that's the way a lot of us function in our lives. Just, I, all I want to know is how do I get through next week? right? Uh, you know, we just, uh, w- just tell me what works in the world. And we're not really interested in truth much beyond that. There's also an aspect we're probably a lot like, like Pilate. Pilate, you know, is a guy, he, he's a, you, you don't get to this level of Roman leadership with knowing that the world is, is not an even keeled place, that there's a lot of this and that going on, etc. And he's a cynic already. He's, he's like, well, you know, what is truth? Everybody has their own idea of truth. You know, what's truth is? And he's just kind of, he's like, you know, I can't learn anything from you because you don't really know the world, right? And there's an aspect of that for ourselves, right? But this question of what is truth just hangs out there for us, right? It, it, and it should, because answering that question is really going to define what we center our lives around, or at least it should. I don't think any of you here today are, 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 are so cynical about yourself and about your life to say, I know this is best, but I'm going to do just the opposite on purpose. I mean, I, I just don't know very many people who live like that. There are occasions where I think that happens, but I don't think that's good. I don't think any, most of us are like, I want my life to matter, to count. I want it to have some value. I want it to do something, right? You know, and at least I want to enjoy it, right? So the question is, what is truth? Now, I don't want us to turn this into a... a I don't want to turn this into a, a philosophy class, right? But I do think we need a few handles to be able to get to the place where we begin to consider what it is that God says about truth. And so one of the ways that people sometimes think about truth, and this is appropriate, is we think about truth as being factual, right? And, and you know, I, I, I've, 
When I was in college, I tried to avoid all of the science classes, right? I, I mean, I, I was, give me economics, give me all that. I was, you know, so, you know, I tried to stay away from the chem lab. But if you go into the chemistry lab, I think you're going to figure out every single time that water is made up of two parts hydrogen and one part oxygen, right? That's just a fact, right? It's H2O. I got that right? All right, good. And, um, and so, you know, but so it's just factual, right? And so truth to a certain extent, it's factual. Unfortunately, sometimes people today say, if we can't prove it, it's not true. And that's not correct. But there is an aspect where truth is factual. We live in a time, probably maybe more intensely than ever, where we think of truth as being a matter of personal perspective, right? Truth is relative. It's kind of dependent upon who you are, where you grew up, what your experiences are life, what you've been taught, what you haven't been taught, that kind of stuff. So truth for this group of people is different than truth for this kind of people. And, and kind of whatever I believe for myself is kind of what, just what it is and, and that kind of idea. So we, we look at truth as being our perspective. And we live in a time when, where a lot of people would say there really isn't any absolute truth because truth is relative. Truth is the way you see it, Right? You know, I actually went to a, a service at one point where an, an individual was being kind of installed to serve as a pastor of a church. And this individual was charged by the person who was speaking who says, you need to be faithful to your own orthodoxy, meaning that your set of beliefs are going to be just yours, and they may not agree with anybody else, but you need to be faithful to your own orthodoxy. Now, there's maybe some merit in the midst of all of that, but at the end of the day, part of what that's saying is, you know, truth is whatever you believe it to be. And so truth, we live in a time when a lot of people look at it and say truth is, is something that's a matter of perspective. And that's why if you grew up in Asia, you see it differently than we see it here. If you grew up in the South, you see it different than if you live, grew up in the West Coast. And it just kind of list goes on and on and that kind of thing. There's an aspect as well where, and, and, and I'm going to use this term to kind of separate it out from where I want to go, is that there's ways in which we see truth as being spiritual, right? And and, when I'm, and, and, and most times when people are kind of fluttering around in this camp, they, they, they look at that truth is something where, you know, you, you, it, it's, it's, it's something you feel as well, right? It, it's something that speaks to you. So there's factual truth, but somewhere up here you kind of connect with the spiritual world, right? You know, and that kind of idea. And, and so a lot of that drives itself back into religious tradition. You know, you, you and, and so... A lot of this kind of idea that's emerged today is that really kind of all religions have something to contribute to our understanding of what truth is. You know, I encountered this most fully when I was in college, where the chaplain of the college where I was going, in, in several different settings that I was with him in, one of them being a class, I mean, the phrase he used frequently was, there are many pathways to the summit of truth. So truth is kind of up here, right? And so, you know, a, a, a Christian might get to it this way, and a Muslim kind of goes this way, and an atheist comes this way, and, you know, so, you know and, that, and, and, and there's lots of different ways, but you can all get to the summit of truth. And I think you see some of this today, and, and, and I, I appreciate the spirit of the, of, the, of the bumper stickers, those coexist bumper stickers, and they all use the different religious symbols, because I do think we need to respect one another and be at peace with one another. But what they often try to su- suggest is that all religions have something to offer, all, all kind of 
you know, metaphysical beliefs, and I don't even know what that means, but it sounds good, doesn't it? But all these metaphysical beliefs, kind of, they all have something to contribute to our understanding kind of idea. But at the end of the day, when you really stop and think about it, what, what it really comes down to is that either all religions are false or one of them is right. All religions are either, our only two options are all religions are false or one of them is right. Let me just kind of say, so on one side of the camp, right, you have monotheistic religions, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. But on the other side, you've got other religions that are kind of more about contact with ancestors and being in touch with karma in the world and, you know, these kinds of ideas. Those two things don't go together. A religion that's based on worshiping our ancestors is not consistent and is not compatible with a monotheistic religion where there's one God. Even inside of monotheism, right, you, you've, got, you've got Unitarians and then you've got Trinitarians like me who believe that God is one, but he's three. Those two things, you, you, you know, either one is false, all of them are false, or one of them is right. And so I'm basing my convictions on what the Bible says about truth. So I think ultimately as we move through facts and we move through perspective and we move through kind of all this milieu of ideas and that kind of stuff, that's another big word, isn't it? Rack that, write that down. I got two big words today, metaphysical and melu. I'm really up there today. You know, and uh, maybe I went to college for a reason. You know, and, then, and, and then you get to the point where... Uh, all of that, to me, leads you to where you really have to look at biblical truth. What does the Bible have to say about truth? Now, I, I understand it's a little bit of a circular argument, but I don't care, all right? And, and what I mean by that is that we're going to say, okay, the Bible holds truth, so now we're going to look at what the Bible says about truth. And so, therefore, if the first premise isn't right, everything else that flows from it is not right. But I do believe the Bible is truth. And so, in this scripture, we see this question, what is truth? And this is the major theme for the Gospel of John. So, all right, dial me back in. Give yourself a bit of this, you know, it's warm in here. Because there's some really, some big meat for us. There are four points that I want to make to you from the Gospel of John about what the Bible says about truth. And, and we can make lots of them, but we don't have enough time for that, and you don't want to sit that long, right? Um, turn back in the Gospel of John to John chapter 1 with me, all right? John chapter 1. So this is page 899 in your pew Bible, but actually the page doesn't have a number on it, so that doesn't do you a whole lot of good. Just want to read two verses. Again, reminder who John is. John is one of the four people that God commissioned to write a biography of his son. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and now we have John. John is Jesus' closest um, associate inside of the of the uh, disciples. He also lived the longest of all of the apostles. And he was the one who, who most articulated who Christ was in a world that communica- could communicate with all those who were trying to do like truth by spirituality kind of idea. All the other religious ideas that were running around. And this is what he says in verse 1. He doesn't tell us about Mary. He doesn't tell us about Joseph. He doesn't tell us about the shepherds. He doesn't tell us about the wise men. But this is what he says in verse 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. 
And the word was God. Dropping down the column to verse 14. And the word became flesh. Reference to Jesus. And he took up residence. He dwelt among us. And we observed his glory. We could look at him, see who he is, see how he had lived, doing that kind of thing. And he was the glory as the one and only son from the Father. And he was what? Full of grace and truth. So here's the first thing I want you to get about truth. Truth is divine. Another way to say the same thing. We discover truth, not by self-discovery, but by revelation. Right? More modern language. Truth is God's selfie that he has sent to us. All right? And you couldn't have preached that 20 years ago, right? But, you know, Jesus is God. He is responsible in an intervening person with bringing all of creation, the instrument through who God brought creation. He is, he is God. He has become flesh, and that flesh is the embodiment of truth. So truth is revealed to us by God, and so truth is ultimately an act of revelation, not of self-discovery. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to learn. That's not what I said. But it's not like somehow or another we have to invent it for ourselves. In fact, truth has to have its source in God because truth is ultimately divine. It is embodied in the person of God. Truth is God's self-explanation and self-revelation. I told you it was going to get thick. You know, you got to pull it up. And so, now, for many today, that's a radical idea. That truth is actually something that's been revealed to us and not something that we invent or create or discover for ourselves, but it's something that God has shown to us. And he has shown it to us in Jesus Christ. Here's the second truth I want you to say. So, so uh, just another idea that connects with that. For you and I to discover truth, we don't need to look in. We need to look up. Right? And we live in a time where we so elevate ourselves and, 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 and that kind of idea. And we're, the world revolves around us that we want to look in to figure out what it is that we want to be truth. And that's truth rather than the fact that we have to look up in order to discover truth. All right. You with me? Just elbow the person next to you. Make sure they're awake. All right. Here we go. Here's the second truth. I want you to go back over to John chapter 14. Right? So truth is divine. Doesn't mean it's not factual. It doesn't mean that we can't develop some perspective or agreement with it. But, but it, it, truth is divine. But here's the second thing I want you to see. It's from John chapter 14, verse 6. This is page 916 in your Bible. Jesus is, is he's in the midst of telling his disciples that the end is coming. Right? He's been living with them. They've been fishing together, eating together, sleeping together, doing all that kind of stuff, doing life together for three years. So that's coming to an end. I'm getting ready to go, that kind of thing. And, and they're just like, uh, we don't get it. And their hearts are, and they're already starting to grieve and, and they're afraid and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 
In verse four, chapter 14, he says, listen, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. This is one of my favorite funeral passages. Don't let your heart be troubled. You know, you believed in God, believe also in me. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? And so that when you get there in this large mansion that my father has, your sheet's going to be turned down and there's going to be your mint on the pillow and your room's ready for you. I'm just adding a little bit in, but that's what he said. I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? He's going to do that through the cross, which we're going to remember in just a minute. And then he says, you know, he says, and, and, and you know the way we're going. And, and, and there's a guy in the group, right? You know, and for those of you who are old enough to remember, welcome back, Cotter. So, ooh, 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 I got a question. So, we don't know where you're going. And look at what Jesus says in verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And here's the statement I would make. Not only is truth divine, truth is ultimately personal. In other words, it's only discovered by being in relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. It, there, there are certainly facts that go with it, born of a virgin, this and that, all those kinds of things, but it lives in relationship with Jesus is himself the truth. You and I know the truth. We discover the truth. We, in, we, we receive the truth. We live out the truth because we live in relationship with the person who is the truth. So Christianity ultimately is not a creed. It's not a set of doctrine you throw against the wall and say, if you can agree with that, you're good. It's, it's, it's about knowing that and in that entering into a journey where we walk with the one who is the truth. Truth is personal. It's relational, right? And to know the truth, to live the truth, is to know Jesus. And, and, and if we don't get that, then, then we just don't know the truth, all right? So second, third thing I want to get, get to. A couple more chapters over. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Last night of Jesus' life, just before the, all the stuff come, begins to break loose with, with Judas and, and, the, and, the, and the religious leaders and all those kinds of things, Jesus is praying for his disciples. You know, he, it, a lot of times this is referred to as the priestly prayer as he prays for his disciples. And, and, and I just want to pull out a single verse, a little dangerous to do. You often want to put it in contact. But here's Jesus' prayer for his disciples. He's saying, you know, Father, I want you to sanctify them by the truth in your word is truth. So now what I so here's the point that I want to make from that with that God's truth truth itself is objective. Right? There there's a place and where you can put a set of brackets around the truth and it ends. It's contained. You know, there, there were a time when, when you would see around some of our communities, there were these banners hanging on the front of church buildings that said, God is still speaking. And there is a way in which God is still speaking to his church, to his people. But in the sense of God still speaking to give us new truth that is different than the old truth, just God's truth is objective. It has been defined. It's been reduced to black and white <laughs> for us. Some of you have some red. But it's been black, reduced to black and white and red for us because it, it has been 
It's been defined. It is now objective. That doesn't mean we won't struggle with various interpretations and stuff. But God's truth has been defined for us. It's been laid out for us. We've received it. And so God's truth is hidden in his word. His word has been written down for us so that we have his selfie of what the truth is for us. Anybody getting any of that? All right. I'm just, uh, thank you. There we go. We got one. You know, it's just, uh, and, and so very different than saying, you know, truth is what I understand and perceive it to be and et cetera, or truth is how I define it or how I interpret it, but it is, truth is divine. We look up, it is discovered through a relationship with Jesus, and it has been set aside with a beginning and an end for us in the word of God, Right? And we can be set apart for eternity and for this life as well, which is what the word sanctify means, to be set aside for God, for God to bless, use, fill, all those kinds of things, because we, have, we let his truth, his word, work in us. All right, got one more. All right, so just hang on for one more. John chapter 8, just back, just one page, a couple pages to 909. Jesus is teaching in chapter 8, and, and we, and we kind of come to a summary section in verse 30. And, and just look at, it says, as he was saying these things, many, many people believed in him. So Jesus specifically shared truth with the Jews who had come to believe in him as the Messiah. He says, if you continue in my word, you're really my disciples. It's not just kind of like saying, yeah, we think you're a pro- whatever, but, but if you continue to follow after me and live out and be in relationship with me, you're really my disciples. He says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Part of the reality of truth is that truth is liberating. It sets us free. To not know the truth, to not live in relationship with the person who is the truth, Jesus, is to live in bondage, to live, to live in a place where we, we are enslaved, right? You know, in, earlier in John 3, he said, you know, those who don't, you know, who have not believed in me have been judged already. There's an aspect where they're, they're, it's all kind of set up and set up because it, it, it is the, the break line. And so when we don't know the truth, we are living in bondage to a way of life that we can't get out of on our own. And when the truth of God penetrates, this divine revelation of his son in this person, as it enters into our lives, it sets us free. And as we walk in that truth, it changes who we are. We, if, if we're really his disciples, it says, right, you'll continue in the word of God. And so there's an aspect where th- this truth is, is, is factual, born of a virgin, Grew up in Nazareth, called out of Egypt earlier. You know, there's pieces to that that's all true, right? There's factual. It, it is theological. It's correct about who God is. But at the end of the day, truth is also ethical. It's moral. 
It affects who we are, how we live, the way we see things, because it penetrates in. It's, it's who we become in him because we are in Christ. So truth is liberating. It sets us free. And of all the questions that we could encounter today about truth in our lives is the question, this question, has truth really set us free? Has it set me free? Has it set you free? That's, that really is the, the biggest question about all the things related to truth. We, we, we've seen this divine. We've seen that it's personal. It's connected to being in a relationship with Jesus. We've seen that it's, it's been objectified. There is a place where God has expressed his truth, and then that is defined, and it does not change. But ultimately, it comes down to the question of whether or not God's truth has set us free. And that's really the question I have for you today. I think it's the question that Jesus never wants us to stop confronting. That's why he gave us the Lord's Supper, <laughs> right? He said, think about what I did. And the reason I did that is so that you could be set free. Have you been set free? You know, it's interesting. I came across today, um, I mean, earlier this week as a study for this, the, the story. This is not an uncommon story. I mean, it's, it's, been, it's actually been lived out in our own generation in the form of a guy by the name of Lee Strobel, but... but the, one of the, the governor of New Mexico, of the New Mexican territory in 1810, was a guy by the name of Lee Wallace. And he was a devout atheist. And so he was finally, he was a, had been a, a general and, 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 and some other things. And, and so um, he, he was a person of significance in the nation. And some guys had been kind of spurring him on. And so he decided to take on a research pro- project to disprove that Jesus ever existed and that he wasn't the son of God. And I don't know how you do that from New Mexico in 1810 when you get your hands on all these, all these different resources, but for, for years, I mean, not just a few months, but for years, he gathered information trying to disprove that Jesus really was a real person who lived on a planet and that he was the son of God. And as he read the ancient historians and other kinds of things from the period, he just eventually reached the conclusion that Jesus actually was a real person. There was a guy who was born, in Bethlehem, then went off to Egypt, came back and grew up in Nazareth, had a skill trade of being a carpenter, but then lived in Palestine. And, and, so, and then as he continued his study, he, he, he just reached the conclusion that if Jesus actually was, then he was also actually who he said he was. And he came to become a believer. The truth set them free. And my challenge to you today, my challenge to me is to let the truth set us free. That leads us back to our question of last week, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And my invitation to you is to believe. If you have never believed in the person of Jesus Christ and understood and accepted that Jesus is God's selfie to us of what truth is, I invite you to believe today. That's what the communion calls us to. For those of you who said, I believe, I invite you to ask the question, is the way you're living the truth setting you free? And if not, like Jesus says to these folks, if you listen to my word and follow me, then you really are my disciples. I invite you to listen and to follow Let's pray together for just a moment. And as we pray, invite our, our servers to go ahead and make their way to the back to be ready to serve the Lord's Supper to us. Let's pray for just a moment.
just in a conversation between you and God, not trying to be melodramatic in any way, shape, or form, I simply ask you to ask the question, have you been set free? God, I give you thanks today there is such a thing as truth, that it's absolute, that it's eternal, it's unchangeable. Father, I give you thanks that it's available, available in the person of Jesus to us, and that that truth has the power to set us free, because the way you set up the world, the way you make things work. There can be such a thing as forgiveness that comes through the spilling of blood. We don't understand exactly why it is that you set it up that way. But that's what you did. And then you sent your son, who is the truth, to spill his blood for us. So we remember today, as we come to your table, that you just ache. You just ache for us to be set free. And we embrace that in Jesus' name. Amen.